Good morning. The reading today is from John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. And we'll start with a short prayer. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach and encourage us through your word so we may be ready to serve you. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So John chapter 1, starting at verse 35. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found out about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is Susan, and it is my honor to be sharing with you God's word today. Before I do, let us pray. Faithful Father, I want to open this morning's service with thanksgiving. We thank you for revealing yourself through us, through your word. 
As we open the Bible today, we pray that we would hear your voice. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work, opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. May we be transformed into your likeness, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the themes of this passage is how do the disciples first understand Jesus? The first time I came across God was in the common phrase, oh my God. This is often used as an exclamation of disbelief, frustration, excitement, or anger. But I started to explore further what this oh my God meant. When my history teacher concluded the class with, out of all the love stories of this world, the greatest love story is when Christ gave up his only son to die for humanity on the cross. My curiosity made me want to know who this God is. And as much as I was taught and raised, you have to be hardworking. Once you get the good grades, you will get into a good university and you will then get a good job and make lots of money. But when I chose God, it was a complete cultural shock. My identity at 17 years old changed. No longer found in which school I go to, no longer found in what clothes I wear, no longer found in the next coolest gadget or iPhone, no longer in the most stable and rewarding job, but in Christ. I'm sure that we all had different initial understandings of God, and we can probably hear more stories than people in this room in how God wonderfully reveals himself to us. I know that many of us in the church grew up in Christian families. You may all be very familiar with God. From your Christianing to spending time in the Red Room, from joining Clay to joining young adults, from young adults to then the church's wider network, you have known God. You have known God's people through this church, through his community, and you may have been on this journey of faith for a long, long time. So let's look at how the disciples initially thought of Jesus. From the passage we read, Jesus was seen as the Lamb of God, Rabbi, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus is called by John the Lamb of God. And these disciples' initial understanding of Jesus is that he is the Lamb of God. What is then the significance of John calling Jesus the Lamb of God? In the early parts of John chapter 1, we read at verse 20 that John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. John's subsequent writing reveals to us that Jesus is the man who fulfills all that the law and the prophets have said about the Messiah. He is, at verse 45, the Son of God. In describing the Lamb of God, we understand him being a symbol of Jesus' shedding of his blood, dying on the cross, taking away the sins of this world. There are three different understandings of the Lamb of God. The first and the earliest in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham answered Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The second time we see in Exodus chapter 12, where the lamb refers to the Passover lamb that spared the Jews from destruction. The third time we see in Leviticus, where the lamb was used as sacrifice to atone for one's sins. 
Remember, this is potentially the first time any of these disciples have heard Jesus being described as the Lamb of God. Yet these three understandings of the Lamb distracts us from the key point of John's passage here. Bible scholar David Schrock comments that the biblical discussion as to which Lamb is Jesus is often a misguided question. Instead, he puts it this way, Jesus is not the lamb like any of the aforementioned lambs, rather those lambs are like him. Jesus is the true lamb of God, the one who will be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Therefore, Jesus is the summation of and final substitution. So here we are starting to understand who this Jesus is. I want to follow the verses And we see that the verse succeeding John calling Jesus the Lamb of God says, The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. The second theme I want to explore is how are we following God? John shows us that Christ is the center of God's purpose in creation and revelation. By understanding this, we can see more clearly as to his call for us to follow him. When I was preparing this sermon, I came across an interview between Hillsong worship leader Brooke Liggettwood and Christian writer Jackie Perry. In the interview, Brooke asked Jackie, how do you know you are following Jesus and not your dream? She said, oh, that's that's a big question. One way to answer is to ask myself, am I bearing fruit? Fruit as it is defined in scripture, because wealth is not necessarily a fruit. It's a blessing, maybe, but it's not fruit. But fruit, fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The greatest commandment we know is that we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. The second commandment, then, is to love our neighbours, By loving Christ wholeheartedly, we are given the Holy Spirit. We are given the ability to love, supernaturally, to even love our enemies. Those who are in Christ are distinguished from unbelievers in that they have been gifted with the Holy Spirit, enabling them to bear fruit. In other words, their works demonstrate the change of sanctification that is at work in their hearts through the Holy Spirit working in us, that our fruits will only grow more and more. Recently, I've been reading Francis Chan's Crazy Love. From his writings, I am struck by how much he loves God, and Francis shares with his audience that God has burdened him with seeing a transformation in the American church about how they love God. I think his reflections are also applicable in the Australian church today. An exercise that I thought was deeply convicting was comparing ourselves to the love that God has shown us. As you are all very familiar with this verse, and it was definitely used in more than half of the weddings that you attend, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 reads, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. We are imbued with God's love, born in the image of Christ. Yet when I replace love is patient, love is kind, with perhaps my own name, saying Susan is patient, Susan is kind, I feel deeply convicted as I fail to represent God's love through all of these things. Following Christ, therefore, can't just be a label when we put on when we feel like it. It must be central to everything we do and are. A fundamental belief of the Christian faith is a recognition that we are sinful, and no one is totally immune from falling short of love of any of the spirits mentioned above. Yet there is a difference between a life that is characterized by the job we work, the house we live in, the car we drive, and a life that is in the process of being radically transformed. So let's go back to the passage where the disciples meet Jesus for the first time. By saying Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man, the disciples lay down foundational claims as to who Jesus is. It is important to note that in this context of first seeing Jesus, John's disciples did not know the significance of what Jesus came to do. Speculation and uncertainty is demonstrated in Nathaniel's question, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? The disciples might be thinking, oh, Jesus could be another John, another prophet. They did not know fully, yet they chose the act of following to spend time with Jesus, to place their faith in Jesus so that Jesus can reveal himself to them. Let's look at some of the phrases about following God. Verse 39, they followed Jesus so that they could come and see. Verse 39 again, they went and saw and they spent the day with him. Verse 43, Jesus found Philip and said to follow me. Verse 46, Philip told Nathanael to come and see. It seems far removed from us today that following Jesus in the gospel was literally following Jesus around and spending time with Jesus. What does it then look like in today's world where following someone simply means a click on the button off their Instagram page? Francis Chan criticizes the Church of America in being lukewarm towards God. The Bible tells us about being lukewarm in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus harshly states, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so that never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens because their bank account will save them. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured out and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full and the most part, they're in good health. The truth is their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. It is easy to fill ourselves up with other things of this world and then give God whatever that is left. 
Yet Luke chapter 9 verse 25 tells us, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? So what does it mean then to be a disciple of Jesus? From this passage, we can see from the disciples' relationship with John that John was their teacher. They were learning from John. When they all saw Jesus, they saw him as the Lamb of God and they started to follow and learn from Jesus. In the Bible, discipleship, however, is not just learning from someone. After all, I wouldn't call myself a disciple at university. I call myself a student. I sit in my chair, I listen to the lecturer, and I take notes. Discipleship, however, is more than learning lessons in a classroom. Discipleship in the Bible is often attached to a deeper meaning of molding one's life after Jesus'. Therefore, we see the disciples were following Jesus so that they can learn all about him in close detail so as to mold their lives after Jesus. By spending time with Jesus, the disciples gained a higher resolution understanding of who Jesus is. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 reads, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If we think about following Jesus today, the initial step is saying the sinner's prayer. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 reads, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is how the sinner's prayer lays it out. The sinner's prayer reads, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Through this prayer, we become witnesses just like John and his disciples. We become a new creature. The old has gone, the new is here. However, as we have all experienced and acknowledge, following Jesus requires ongoing practice of our faith. There's two things that the New Testament makes clear about following Jesus. Firstly, to follow Jesus means that we should obey Jesus' teachings. In John 8, verse 32, Jesus tells us that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we know in John 14 verse 6, Jesus is the truth. For Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how might we apply these into our lives to declare that Jesus is Savior and King to obey his teachings and to know his truth. I believe it goes back to how these disciples had a heart to follow Jesus and a curiosity to see where Jesus would lead them. Sometimes following Jesus is hard. After all, we know just as much as the disciples who first decided to follow him. We may not see the grand picture. We may be tunnel visioned by life, by the people around us, by what society tells us. Yet God calls us to have faith, 
to step out of the boat of our comfort onto the water, the unknown. I want to share my recent experience of being uncomfortable in the unknown and how God answered my prayer. I'm at the end of my first rotation at work as a law graduate, and in August, I'm rotating to a, a new team to gain some further experience before settling down in next February. Some of you may have heard that I was planning on leaving Melbourne for six months to go on a journey of professional and personal development in Brisbane, where I saw a golden opportunity to work with a brilliant partner who has a strong Chinese clientele, and that's a huge interest for me due to my cultural heritage. And I was ready to go. I told all my friends about leaving for Brisbane. But going to Brisbane was a pretty big decision, even if it was just for six months. I would have to go long distance with Theo. I would have to leave my sister, my friends, this church for six months. God challenged me in the process. And that's when I realized I was not chasing after God's path, but my own dreams. I could not possibly pass up the opportunity I was determined to go, but I gave this decision to God. I asked for clarity, and as I was approaching the end of my first rotation, Theo and I decided to spend a Saturday praying and fasting for this particular decision that will affect the second half of our year. And in the weeks shortly following our fasting and prayer, God spoke through his people. I first heard God through Roz. When Roz preached on Ruth chapter 1, she mentioned, maybe God wants you to stay where you are so he can work in you here. A couple of weeks later, I heard again, different speaker on a sermon podcast when I was driving home. If God is working through you, yet you make all the decisions by yourself, what is this? Obedience to God is not about outcomes, it is about honour. I don't have to understand why, but I honour who you are in my life, and I am going to obey because knowing for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And God continued to speak on this decision. There's more to the story, but you can come and chat to me after the service. In today's world, where everything is Googleable, tangible, pointed towards self-help, we become distracted by the world's alternative messages and we feel like God owes us an explanation. We feel like God should have a clear path, a grand plan, a success story for all of us. Secondly, following Jesus means being rooted in Christ and not in things of this world. How much of your time is dedicated to God's kingdom? And how much of your time do you spend on Netflix or scrolling Facebook? How much time do you spend working? And how much is it dedicated to God's work and his purposes? How much of your money is spent on selfish indulgence? And how much is it dedicated to building up the kingdom of God? In Psalm 1, God promises that those who delight in the Lord are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. My prayer for all of us is that we can be that tree that is planted by the streams of the living God. We want to be constantly in relationship with God. We want to be constantly nourished by God's word. Because we know that 40 minutes on a Sunday is not going to sustain us, 
especially when we're distracted and troubled by the world. Some of you may be familiar with the parable of the treasure and of the pearl. I was recently reminded of this beautiful story. In Matthew chapter 13, we read, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went away and sold all he had and bought it. In this account, the man joyfully sold all he had so that he could obtain the only thing that mattered. He knew that the kingdom of heaven was more valuable than anything he had, so he went for it with everything in him. God is worthy of our all, and this man's response is entirely appropriate. Therefore, as we go forth, continuing in our journeys of faith and of coming to Jesus and of following Jesus, let us be inspired by the five men who literally followed Jesus everywhere he went. Let us be encouraged to love God more and to aspire to give God our everything. We don't want to be Instagram followers of Jesus. We want to follow him closely. We want to love him wholeheartedly. We want to prioritize time spent with God rather than time spent with friends. We want to prioritize Bible reading rather than time on social media and reading the news. We want to prioritize obedience, listening to God and obeying him rather than ourselves. And as we delve into scriptures, we find that we are the salts and lights for his kingdom at school or at work or at home. And as we bow our heads and pray and pour out our hearts to him, we know that Jesus is the truth and only in him we can be set free. We're going to sing again, but if you're um, in the youth department, that is in 